0: The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday night. We're looking forward to another good one tonight. As I told you last night, we kind of have back-to-back, well, they're definitely controversial this, topics, but they're also related to uh, what we're experiencing, not just in this country, but around the world with the pandemic. And one of the things we're going to be faced with very, very soon, and this is both a blessing and a curse in many ways. Hopefully it becomes more blessing than it does curse. But we're going to be faced with the real idea that a new vaccination, a new vaccine will be available to combat COVID-19. And some governments have already said, including, I believe, the state of Virginia, have already said that this isn't going to be an optional vaccine. You'll be required to have this vaccine. And uh, there is a lot of discussion about the safety and efficacy of vaccinations, and they're justifiably good conversations. I don't think there's any way you can dispute the fact there is a public health benefit to effective and uh, uh, researched and uh, tested vaccinations but this rush to get vaccinate everybody for everything may be counterproductive. Our guest tonight will be talking about all of this and more. Dell Bigtree is an investigative journalist and the CEO of the Informed Consent Action Network. And he doesn't argue per se whether or not you should or shouldn't have a vaccination. What he does is he talks about the industry, why so many of these vaccinations are being pushed upon people? Are they necessary? Are they dangerous? Maybe we don't know the answer to those questions, but that in itself is a problem. So we're going to have the conversation. We're going to have a a very deep discussion about all of this, and I hope uh, that you find it as interesting as I know I will. We've had Dell on the program before, and I'm pretty sure when we had him on last time, he uh, was interviewed by our guest host, Bruce the Shark Markison. I think I was not able to do the program that night, so Bruce had the honor of talking with Dell. So I'm excited to do that tonight because when we scheduled him the first time, I remember that distinctly, and I was anxious. I was anxious to have the conversation with him. So um, at this point, uh, we're looking forward to doing that. I do want to mention something else. I came across a website uh, during the course of um, just looking at uh, some of this health information. And the, the website, I'll give it to you. It's my health rocks now my rocks and on that website, I scrolled down and there was this thing that's called meology m eology meology and uh, I clicked on it to see what it was about and it gave me it went through a whole bunch of lifestyle questions and it gave me an assessment of the types of uh, supplements I should be taking to uh, balance out what little nutrition i get in my food and you know from what i eat that uh that is highly true um fruity pebbles um pizza and pasta as uh, you know the, the my staples uh, don't give me all the nutrition that i need sadly because i would eat more of them if it did and macaroni and cheese is my favorite i don't eat that very much just because that is so over the top but i would if i could Anyway, the, um, so I, I did this little survey thing. It was like 20 questions, and it told me the types of uh, uh, supplements I should be adding to my diet. I found it very, very uh, informative, and um, it's, it's pretty interesting. So, again, if you go to my Health Rocks now, myhealthrocksnow.com, and you click on you scroll down a little bit and find this meology thing, and you say, you know, you click on it and say, get me started, or whatever it is. I don't even remember what the actual button was. Uh, it, it walks you through it. It's kind of cool. I just uh, thought I would share that with you. I found it interesting for myself. Please subscribe to YouTube. Now that I mentioned it, go to YouTube and search for J.V. Johnson. Hit the subscribe button. Be part of our online community there. Also go to Twitch. Find the channel there. It's also J.V. Johnson. You can follow, and there's no obligation or charge for following, which helps us. But you can also subscribe. There is a small fee associated with subscriptions. It removes ads from the broadcast, and it also gives you uh, access to some special perks and if you have an amazon prime account which most people do these days you can actually link your um amazon prime account to the channel and then you don't have to uh pay for the subscription it just becomes part it becomes free basically part of because you have amazon prime so okay that's uh i've said a lot here um but i'm really anxious to get our guest on the program so we can start talking about something that's going to be uh making more and more headlines as we move down this road. And that is vaccinations, particularly the vaccination that's forthcoming for COVID-19. Dell Bigtree is our guest tonight. Looking forward to this conversation on Beyond Reality. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. I guess the uh, court of public opinion as it comes to these lockdowns, but not just that. We talked about how these lockdowns are affecting real people, businesses, children, seniors, uh, and the rest of us. And, um, you know, maybe we have rushed into some policies here that, first of all, are damaging by themselves, but secondly, aren't accomplishing the things that we had intended them to. It was a pretty heady conversation, and we're going to have another heady conversation tonight. We're going to be talking about vaccinations, particularly because we will all be faced with the, hopefully it'll be a decision we get to make ourselves, but it doesn't necessarily look like it will be when the COVID-19 vaccination is ready to be distributed, which we're being told will be within months. Our guest tonight is a returning guest, Del Big Tree. He's an investigative journalist. He's the CEO of the Informed Consent Action Network. And Dell, I'm really proud and honored to have you with us tonight. I'm looking forward to this discussion.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. This is a very important discussion. A lot of people are afraid to have it. So it let's is.
0: Do it. it is an important discussion. And um, when I was putting some notes together uh, in preparation for tonight, I noticed on your website, and the website is icandecide.org, by the way, uh, but I noticed on the, the splash page of the website, the first thing that I saw. Was and I'm going to quote here a statement that says science requires debate, and I think when I look at all of the things going on around us, and this doesn't necessarily apply only to the COVID discussion, but it most you know uh, poignantly does at this moment, is this lack of debate within the scientific community and the effort to silence people who might have an opinion that doesn't fall in line with the orthodoxy. Uh, science requires debate, doesn't it, Dell?
1: Well, that's exactly what science is. It's supposed to be, you know, a, a scientist comes up with a theory or a hypothesis and then sets out on their own to disprove that hypothesis. And then once they publish and they say, look, I tried to disprove it and it held strong. So therefore, either this drug works, or this vaccine works, or my theory works, and then you have peer review. And then scientists come in and they start attacking and pulling it limb from limb. And slowly that's how science is meant to evolve. It's a, it's really a full contact sport in many ways. And we have, we've destroyed that. Um, We've destroyed that by humiliating and intimidating anybody that asks questions. I mean, I've been investigating the safety of vaccines for four years. Normally, you know, I think of Ralph Nader, man, we celebrated the fact that that guy wanted seatbelts and cars no one said he was anti-car for wanting to make them safer. Right. Yet to you know to ask the question, "Are vaccines safe?" It's like some sort of heresy or sacrilege, and that's exactly the problem. This has become more of an orthodoxy or a religion than science. Science should be inviting the challenge and and the opportunity to step up and show. Um, the the strength of their position or their product or, you know, their theory. And it's just not happening anymore.
0: And, and, and one of the most important components of the scientific process, the process of the scientific community, is this idea that um, new theories and research is peer-reviewed. And that's that's the whole um, premise by which much of this work is either found to have merit or to not have merit. And much of these ideas that we're going to talk about tonight don't even get to that point.
1: Right. No, I mean, that's exactly it. First of all, it's, it's so much money in it, right? Money has corrupted the scientific process. A scientist only forwards their career if they have success. They only get the next million-dollar infusion into their school or their department if they show success. So it's creating a bias where now science sets out to prove it's right. And that's exactly what – I know we're going to get into this with the vaccine uh, program, but we're talking you know, billions of dollars to be made. This is where I think my job as a journalist is to be skeptical, to always be skeptical. Every time there's a company that can make billions, maybe hundreds of billions of dollars – Usually you'll find somebody cutting corners and the pharmaceutical industry uh, has paid out, you know, billions of dollars in court for murdering innocent people because they cut corners and lie about safety. So it's amazing how few journalists in the world we live in today are challenging the pharmaceutical industry when it comes to products that are injected into our children, as though they're made by angels in some back room. Yeah, yeah, I know the drug companies lie. And I know that, you know, we had biox and talcum powder and and that murdered millions of people. But when it comes to vaccines, that's like a different department at pharma. That's angels make that into an elixir from the gods. I mean, that's literally what it's like trying to talk about it as though you just there's no way it could possibly be dangerous, which is
0: it just defies all reason. It does. And journalism didn't only die with that question. It seems to have died with many questions that it should be asking. You mentioned religion, and that's kind of haunting because, you know, most of us who had any um, understanding of history or were taught anything about history, we learned about things like uh, the Catholic Church shutting down scientists who discussed, you know, the idea that the earth was round versus. You know, was it was a globe, was a sphere versus flat. And some of these, you know, scientific concepts that we all take for granted now, but it was considered heresy at a point. And uh, we're seeing that similar reaction today.
1: We are. And it's really, I mean, in some ways, I guess you could say we've never evolved, right? This is how we always treat that scientist. Remember, you know, consensus, science and consensus, what you always hear, well, the consensus of science is. Consensus has nothing to do with science. Every single evolution in science is, as you described, one team, one doctor, one scientist, one mind that stepped outside the box and said, you know what, I'm going to take a different vantage point here. That is how science has always evolved. It's never been all, you know, the millions of scientists around the world suddenly go, aha, aha, together. We suddenly have a, you know, that's just not how it works. And, and, you know, historically, every time one person steps out and says, hey, folks, uh, we're not the center of the universe. Of course, they're jailed. They're or attacked. Uh, and we see it all the time in modern science, too. It's really, really sad. And now the church that was once, you know, claiming heresy for saying that the earth is not the center of the universe, now pharma is that church. Now pharma has so much money, in, you know, pouring into universities, pouring into research programs for all the drugs we're all taking that... As soon as any scientist says, you know what, we're injecting aluminum, a known neurotoxin, into our babies on the first day of life with a vaccine, where is the safety on that? And then that scientist looks and says, we never did a study on injecting aluminum. Maybe I should start investigating it, you know? And as soon as they do, if they put out a study showing it looks like aluminum causes some neurological issues, which would go, you know, without saying it's a known neurotoxin. And that scientist will suddenly be defunded. The, they will threaten the university and say, fire that scientist, and we're pulling the money we're investing in your cancer research. And this is what's happening. No scientist can challenge the you know, status quo when it comes to any product that pharma is putting out, and it's really, really getting dangerous. And I don't it's want, about to get very dangerous with the COVID nineteen. Yeah, yeah, vaccine.
0: and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves in this discussion because we yeah. have a lot of ground to cover. But I also want to mention that as we talk about the scientific community taking the, take, taking this approach, there's kind of a triad of uh, of it's a three legged stool, if you will. Uh, you've got politicians aiding and abetting this this uh, approach to quote unquote science, and then you also have the the most important. Uh, what I would call filters of information deciding now what is accurate science and what is phony science in the form of Google, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and the social media giants, these companies that now filter 80% of all information that gets through to the public, they're also trying to decide what is right and what is wrong when it comes to scientific thought.
1: Well, and that's a new development, right? Because pharma went and bought up the television set. They money into every single network so that now you know roughly 50 to 70% of all advertising is coming from pharma that means that that box on your on your wall in your living room is really just a billboard for pharma to tell you you can't live without pharma your restless leg syndrome or your plaque psoriasis, or whatever it is and a long ticker tape of side effects don't worry about that but that is that is what's paying the news anchors and so they work for pharma so we can't get a true story about potential dangers of a vaccine or a COVID-19 vaccine or any of those things. But what happened was people like me, you know, said, oh, well, wait a minute. I don't need TV. I left TV. I left CBS television where I was, you know, a Emmy award winning producer on the daytime talks to the doctors because I was tired of having sponsors like Pfizer and Merck and Pampers telling me what I can and cannot investigate. And so I dragged two, Uh, of the producers of the Doctor's television show that we worked on, and we decided to do our dream, which was let's do a news show where only the people pay for it. Like, we'll just do it on a donation basis so that no one tells us what we can and can't investigate. Well, I wasn't the only one. All Suddenly, social media became this platform where we could share ideas and share real investigations, not controlled by sponsors. And then, of course, Pharma and everyone said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We left the back door open, man. We were about to control the world. We thought it was only going to be the television. We got to grab hold of this internet right away. And what do they do? Pharma starts investing in Google. Pharma starts investing in, you know, Twitter. And now the, we've got this terrible, terrifying cabal being built between pharma and Silicon Valley, which we're all seeing come to fruition through this pandemic from tracking and tracing and, you know, you name it, to vaccinations. They're all in on it. and now. My YouTube channel got pulled, you know, just about a month and a half ago. Uh, when I've been broadcasting my show, The High Wire. You can go to thehighwire.com. But The High Wire has been on for three years, and then suddenly they just pulled my channel. Um, this is happening more and more. Uh, we've all been watching the news today with a huge story about Biden getting yanked from uh, Twitter. And, you know, these are terrifying times that we can't – the whole idea of social media – was that we would be like this interconnected family around the world, and now we find out, oh, no, 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 we only want you connecting on the conversation we're going to allow you to have.
0: It's a dangerous and very slippery slope. I want to back the discussion up a little bit because I will tell you this. Sure. You know, you, by deciding to take on this fight to a degree, you know, have opened yourself up to a lot of criticism, and as you just mentioned, censorship, um, assaults from all sides – Why did you decide to wear this mantle and fight this fight for people?
1: You know, I ask that question I get interviewed by the New York Times and Washington Post all the time. I'm that anti-vaccine guy. Let's ask him whether he would get a COVID-19 vaccine or not. And I say to them when I start the interview out, I said, you know, I'm just curious. You and I both know that this is going to be a hit piece. You're going to set out to make me look insane and I'm asking, I'd like to ask you right now, why do you think someone like me even takes this interview? Well, I don't know, they say. You know, so because, and I said, because, and what about Bobby Kennedy? This is a man who is a Kennedy, who was one of the greatest environmental attorneys in the history of mankind. Why, do you think he just suddenly woke up and, and lost his mind and said vaccines are dangerous? There's a reason we are here. We're here because you know for no other reason than the truth we're uncovering in our investigations, because... It's not pleasant, it's not fun to be attacked, it's not fun to be called crazy, but why do you do it? Because you look into the eyes of children, and I look into my own children that are very healthy, and I see so many injured children, so many neurologically disabled children, so you know, so many stories of parents, even adults being injured by vaccines, losing their careers and being paralyzed. And you see enough of those stories, you realize, There's a Holocaust going on here. Am I going to be one of those people that just looks the other way because it's convenient? Um, I'm not wired that way. And shockingly, you know, I would think a lot of reporters are not wired that way. But it is incredible how alone you can feel sometimes when you embark on an issue like this.
0: Let's talk about vaccines in general and just to get a sense of what your overall message is for people. Are you anti-vaccine?
1: I don't say that I'm anti-vaccine because that's the same as saying the science is settled. On the other side of the aisle, so to speak, they they will say the science is settled. Vaccines are safe and effective. The science is not settled. In fact, it's anything but settled. It's some of the worst science I've ever looked at in my entire career being a medical investigative journalist. But if I was to say that I'm anti-vaccine, that means my science is settled. And trust me, I get attacked by diehard anti-vaxxers. Dell, why don't you say you're anti-vaccine? Because the truth is, is that I am all about the science. What I would say right now is that, you know, I have investigated every childhood vaccine we give our children. We have read with our nonprofit, and I have a team of lawyers, I have scientists all around the world that we work with. We have investigated every study that discusses safety. Is a vaccine safe? Remember, they say it's safe and effective, I'm the only journalist I know that has really only looked at one word on one product, safety of vaccines, for four years. And so we have challenged health and human services. I've been in a debate with them. We have been in a letter-writing debate that people can see on our website where we submitted all the problems with the vaccine program. They responded to us, and then we wrote an 88-page document about why their responses come up short. My legal team has sued and won against virtually every government health agency we have. We've won against the FDA, the National Institute of Health, Health and Human Services, and the CDC. And we continue to sue because they're lying to the people, and they're withholding really important information. So I think to get back to this discussion where I come from, you have to understand, I was a CBS medical producer, make, you know, with an Emmy Award at the Daytime Talks for the doctors. Then I stumble upon a whistleblower at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention named Dr. William Thompson. He comes forward in 2014 and 2015 saying, we are committing scientific fraud on the vaccine safety studies and specifically the MMR vaccine, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. He provided 10,000 documents to show that they altered that study that they did looking at does the vaccine, the MMR, cause autism. And so that's what, that was my jump off point. I got involved with making the documentary about that called Vaxed. but as I was touring the country with that film, which we were kicked out of Tribeca Film Festival, there's bomb threats in theaters uh, all around the world. I mean, it was really, really intense. And we still, you know, every theater that would have us, we would go and do a Q&A afterwards. And, and those Q&As, we started interviewing all of the parents, the ocean of parents that said, I have the same story or... You know, my child never got to the MMR vaccine. My child, you know, uh, regressed into autism after the DTaP vaccine. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Or my child died right after a flu shot. Or my star athlete daughter was paralyzed by an HPV Gardasil vaccine. And we started getting more and more and more of these stories. And I realized when people would ask me, Dell, your film is all about the MMR vaccine, Is that the only one that's dangerous? I couldn't honestly say. And so that's when I started my nonprofit, Informed Consent Action Network. I wanted answers to that. We had a movie about one vaccine and a whistleblower pointing out how the the study was a fraud and they lied to the American people. Um, And since then, we've used lawsuits or whatever it took to get to the bottom of it. And here's the general uh, realization. Number one, not a single childhood vaccine. That's 16 vaccines on the childhood schedule that are given in multiple doses. So about 54 shots or 72 total doses by the time you're 18. Far more than any of us that were born before the 1980s. We got 10 vaccines. Now they get 54 vaccines, which is crazy. Um, but not one of the vaccines we we're injecting into our children. Was ever uh, ever established safety using a double-blind placebo study? That is the gold standard. It is the only way to determine safety, actual carte blanche safety of a pharmaceutical product. You have got to give one group the product and the other group gets a saline injection if it's an injection, or if it's a drug, the other group gets a sugar pill that looks just like the drug, and nobody's called double-blind. Because nobody knows who got what, not even the scientists, because they'll have a bias. They're about to make billions of dollars if the product works. So nobody knows. That's how every drug goes through safety. But what we discovered is not a single vaccine is going through that process. So to give you some perspective, like Enbrel and Lipitor, these are vaccines for, I mean, these are drugs for adults. They go through, you know, a five to six-year trial following one group that got the drug and the other group that got the placebo. Now you look at the childhood vaccines. Let's take the hepatitis B vaccine that is injected into a day-one-old baby, whether they weigh 4 pounds or 12 pounds, the same vaccine. Hello, welcome to the world. Welcome to your first breath, and here comes your first sexually transmitted disease. That vaccine has an aluminum load that is absolutely off the charts. And the trials, the safety trial for that had no placebo group. And you know how long it lasted? Not five years, not five months, not five weeks, five days. Five days. They injected this into children, said they look great. Let's go to the market with this. It, I mean, people will say that is impossible. They're listening to your show right now saying that is impossible. And we have taken it all the way to Health and Human Services and the FDA, and we're about to sue the FDA to say you must remove that product right away. We've given them every opportunity to show us a trial that lasted longer than five days, and they can't. And so now we're suing, saying you must remove this product until it's gone through proper safety studies. Because remember, when we look at the health in America, which is why I'm here, if we had the healthiest kids in the world, then I wouldn't bother. Fine, vaccines work, great, but we don't. We have the sickest children in the industrialized world. We have the sickest nation of children. We are the sickest generation of children. And when it comes to that hepatitis B vaccine on the first day of life, we have more babies die on the first day of life in the United States of America than every other industrialized nation combined. That, there's no way to explain that. And someone will say, well, you know, you can't really prove it's a hepatitis B vaccine well, you know what? Stop using it and let's see. Because there's no need for this vaccine. We already tested mom. She doesn't have hepatitis B. Every woman giving birth in America goes through a blood test. If you have hepatitis B, then maybe the vaccine's a good idea. But most, the only way you get hepatitis B is by sharing heroin needles or sleeping with prostitutes and Promiscuous sex. There's no need to give this to a day one old baby, yet we can't get to the stop, and that's why we're suing. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So, no safety studies whatsoever have ever taken place. And when, you know, again, just very quickly, when you look at the numbers in the 1980s, when we were getting 10 vaccines by the time we're 18, our children had a chronic illness rate of 12.8%. That That moniker, you know, includes neurological disorders and autoimmune disease, chronic illness that you're stuck with the rest of your life. 12.8% of our children in the 1980s. Now we're giving 54 vaccines. We went from 10 vaccines to 54 vaccines. And we have a chronic illness rate in our children that has skyrocketed to 54%. 54% of America's children have either a neurological disorder or an autoimmune disease. That is the greatest decline in human health in recorded history. And so that's what I'm involved in. I am trying to stop that. This is insane. We are making kids so sick. More babies die on the first day of life. We have more babies dying in the first year of life in the United States of America than the 20 other richest nations in the world. We have more women dying while pregnant uh, than the 20 other richest nations in the world. We're one of the few that are giving them vaccines while they're pregnant, which 10 years ago, seemed absolutely insane you know and we're now saying that you're 70 percent more likely to die growing up in america before the age of 18 than if you were raised in the 20 other richest nations in the world our stats are disgusting and deplorable and i hold the fda and the national institute of health and the cdc and tony fauci and people like that directly responsible for this decline in health
0: I have to um, so many questions based on what you just said. and You said so much in that one answer to one question. Um, but when we talk about safety and we talk about efficacy, are these two are these separate uh, discussions? In other words, is is it fair to say that some vaccinations actually work? They do what they're intended. But then the second question, the follow up question is at what cost? What price are we paying for that?
1: Exactly right. See, that's the problem. They are two separate discussions, and they are two separate separate um, studies or trials. Now, you can do both at the same time, which is what we're doing with COVID nineteen, where you're looking at safety issues along with efficacy. Efficacy is does this vaccine block the disease or block the person from having the disease or transmitting the disease. Um, and so it can be efficacious yet still have safety issues. This has been really exemplified by a large body of science now coming out of a team um, that's been working in Guinea-Bissau, Africa, Dr. Peter Abe and Dr. Uh, Christina stabel Ben, who's done TED Talks on this issue. They did something really interesting. They have their uh, – Peter Abe – is one of the lead vaccinators. Remember, he's pro-vaccine. He develops vaccine programs for the third world. Now, those of us that question vaccines, we keep saying, if vaccines make people so healthy, why don't you just do a comparative study? Just compare vaccinated individuals to the health of completely unvaccinated individuals. Uh, Bobby Kennedy and I had a meeting at the National Institute of Health with Tony Fauci, Francis Collins, all the luminaries set up by Donald Trump in the beginning of his presidency. And we said, you have a database of 10 million people. If vaccines are so great, why don't you just compare? And we know for a fact that there's tens of thousands of unvaccinated individuals in there. Just do a comparative study. Who has more cancer? Who has more diabetes? Who has more lupus or ADD, ADHD or autism? You get the idea. They said we will never do that study. They said that to our face. Now, Rabbe took this idea and said, you know what? I had a DPT vaccine program 30 years ago. A DPT, you know, pertussis and tetanus. We, we use DTaP, which is an acellular pertussis. Why? Because the DPT was so dangerous and destroying so many lives in America, we discontinued it. But he looked back just in 2017 and said, because of the way the program rolled out across Guinea-Bissau, Africa, I actually was only able to get to certain villages where it was very specific about the age groups, I have a perfect randomized control study where half the kids got the DPT and the other half uh, did not. And then he ran the, the, the data and discovered that those that received the DPT vaccine died at five times the rate of those that didn't receive the DPT vaccine. It blew his mind. And what he realized, and remember, they were not dying of diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. They were protected against those illnesses, but they were dying at higher rates of flu and dysentery and malaria. And the realization that they're now looking into is that, wow, it protected against those illnesses, but lowered the immune system against these other illnesses. And so now they've investigated about six different vaccines they're using in the third world, and they're coming to the same conclusion. We are killing children. And so that's the question we've been asking of the FDA. And and as if you see the TED Talk is great with Christina Stable Bend, she says we had never looked at overall mortality on any vaccine. That was never a question. Overall mortality. Did we actually, did we increase lifespan or decrease it? And once they looked at it, they said we were clearly killing children. And so we have 16 vaccines, like I said, that are being given in 72 doses. We're one of the most vaccinated nations in the world. And nobody has ever run a study. Are we advancing life or are children dying and being crippled and injured by vaccines? They refuse to do it. And that's, that's the work that we're doing. And I think we're getting closer and closer to the public now starting to demand Answers to these questions.
0: I was going to ask you, and I think you just answered it, though. But is is the American public or American children uh, the most vaccinated children in the world?
1: I think that they. My understanding is it's it's going to be a race between us and Australia, uh, but very you know, and more and more we're seeing there's a harmonization that's being required by the WHO. If we get into COVID nineteen, I think that's a lot of what was the agenda of this whole thing. But yes. If you look at Sweden, for instance, there's there's studies that will come out of Sweden. They'll say, look, we prove vaccines don't cause autism. And they're they're terrible studies. But Sweden gets half the vaccines; They get about 22 vaccines in the total lifespan of their children. And there's not consensus. For instance, the UK does not give a chickenpox vaccine to any of their children. Why? Because they know that it causes shingles in their adult population. And so they said, we don't want shingles in our adults, so we're not going to give the chicken pox vaccine. So there is a lot of differentiation on how the vaccines are approached around the world. But the WHO wants to end that. They want everybody on America's schedule, which is going to be really bad for the
0: entire world. When we talk about the you keep mentioning aluminum and other ingredients in in vaccinations. A lot of heavy metals seems to appear. There's a lot of compounds in these injections that you would avoid at all costs or all other costs anyway. Why are these parts of the vaccination recipe? Are they, are they crucial to the vaccine itself or is it a lazy way to make them?
1: Well, in some ways it's sort of the original sin of vaccination. And, and that is, you know, If you think about nature, I mean, whether or not you believe in divine design and create an image like this of God or evolution, I can talk about it the same way. We're designed to be on this planet, um, and we thrive by coming in contact with challenges, Right, the challenges make us stronger. The constant breathing and inhaling of viruses and bacteria is critical to us adapting and being constantly adapted to our environment which is what is so terrifying about the masks on all these children. We could literally make them aliens on their own planet if we continue this approach, where they're not becoming immune to the air they breathe. But when you think about viruses and bacteria, their entry point is your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your lungs, we call them the mucosal uh, areas. That is where the alarm system is built for your body to know that a, a virus or bacteria has just come into the body. And so it sends off You know, this warning to the body, the antibody production begins, and then there's two stages to immunity when you get it naturally. That's the cellular immunity. This is something vaccines have never achieved until right now. They're going to try and see if they can start creating cellular immunity. But here's what's outrageous. When we decided to make vaccines, we didn't, you know, do something where it goes into your lungs or nose or mouth or eyes. We injected it into your arm. Your arm... There's nothing over there. There's no sensors, no alarm system that says, oh my God, there's a bacteria or a virus that's just been injected in my arm because it doesn't happen naturally. Again, whether it's evolution or divine design, it's an unnatural entry point for viruses and bacteria. So if you inject a a dead virus or an attenuated virus or bacteria, the body doesn't know it's there and it'll start wreaking havoc and begin multiplying through the body. So what we do is we have got to alert the body that we have just injected a virus and bacteria somewhere it's never been before. That's what we call an adjuvant. And the adjuvant comes in, it's a neuro, like when it comes to aluminum, that's a neurotoxin. A lot of people believe mercury, which is a preservative, but mercury, the second most toxic substance on Earth, the body definitely recognizes it as a foreign invader. So you basically, and remember, throughout time we've been bitten by snakes. We have taken neurotoxins in all over our body. So we do that with this injection. So the body freaks out. It it goes, oh, my God, I'm under attack by a neurotoxin. Oh, wait, there's also bacteria and viruses here. And it it sends the body into an inflammatory response. Remember, we live in a time where we're trying to create less and less inflammation, anti-inflammatories. And yet the vaccination process is designed to send the body into an inflammatory state. So I would argue, I know there's people who say, green my vaccine. As long as we're injecting your arms and your legs where they're not supposed to be, you have got to use adjuvants. And those are toxic chemicals designed to essentially send your body into toxic shock so that it knows it's under attack. It's a crazy system, um, and it's amazing that uh, we, in so, so many ways, it's just archaic
0: let 's talk a little bit about uh, the reaction you get from people. You uh, made it very clear that you are in the middle of a firestorm at times when you talk about this, and you talk about it very, very passionately and just in the in the few minutes you 've been on with us tonight, you know we 've had people scrolling through our chat room saying you know this is uh, this is just denial, this is you know quasi science this is you know whatever whatever words they throw around, but what do you say yeah. to people? who say, this is just a big conspiracy theory with no merit. What do you say to those folks?
1: Well, I would say that you obviously have never done your research. I mean, I say that to, I, I, I had a New York Times, uh, again, um, interview where the reporter, she said to me, you know, the consensus of science says that vaccines are safe and effective. You're just a journalist. What do you have to say about that? I said, I don't think consensus has any place in science. And I know for a fact that my job is not to just listen to experts. If my job was to listen to experts, then Woodward and Bernstein would have called, you know, um, President Nixon and said, hey, are you tapping phones? No, I'm not.
0: <laughs> Great. <laughs> thank
1: you. We got the expert opinion. <laughs> right. Moving on. That's how, how news is being done. My job is to, yes. Get the expert opinion, but then say to them, could you please, please provide me with the study you're referencing when you say that a vaccine doesn't cause autism or the MMR or any of the statements you make? I have taken a different tack. Please show me that science. And when I started reading the science, I recognized that they are lying. And I said to this New York Times reporter, see, I know for a fact that you don't go that step. You're taking expert opinions. You're not reading the science. And she says, that's awfully, you know, bold of you to say that. I said, well, no, I know for a fact you're not reading it because if you were reading it, you'd be on my side. It is impossible to read this science and not come to the conclusion that vaccines are dangerous. And that's the fact. And so anybody that is sitting there across your chat room, I get it. I get it. We all believe that priests were, were safe, too, and we're only there for our own good. Until the Catholic Church shakeup happened and we recognized, oh, you know what? All these years those crazy, you know, boys and young men were telling those stories. It turns out it was true. This is the same thing. You don't know what you're talking about. If you ever read the science, you would be on my side.
0: And then, you know, some of these folks go further and they'll say things like, well, everything has risks and that's part of, you know, society, that's part of life, but the benefits outweigh the risks. Do you agree with that or do you dispute that?
1: Um, I think you have to have solid data collection to be able to make that statement. Um, And that is, everything does have risk. But remember, things that have risk, like drugs, I'm dying of cancer I will risk the side effects of a drug to right. try. I mean, look. Even if you watch the the television, the commercials, people will risk death to deal with what sounds like in a commercial a somewhat trivial issue, right? Some skin issue or yeah. indigestion, and a side effect is potentially death. So, you know, you've got to make that decision. But my issue is nobody is doing proper data collection, and we've proven this. Let me just very quickly. I was I met a head of CDC up in. Um, Washington they had a big mumps outbreak that was going on and she happened to come and see me speak which was cool I was like thank you She's like, well I want to understand how the opposition is thinking I was like I appreciate that and we had a conversation and she said you know you're just trying to give us a bad name I was like no on the contrary I believe in science and I'm just trying to make sure that it's being done correctly and so I said she says well what do you mean so let me ask you this question You know, you know, you and I both know, you won't say it on the news, but you and I both know that children will die this year from their vaccination. They'll be killed, essentially, by the vaccination program. And those kids could have gone on to maybe be president of the United States. They could have gone on to be a scientist that figures out how to make a vaccine that doesn't kill children. But can we agree that children do die in the vaccine program? She says, of course, just like you said, she said. That's, you know, there's no there's no such thing as a perfectly safe thing or one-size-fits-all. I said, okay, let me ask you the next question then. Can you tell me as a head scientist for the CDC how many children we are predicting will be killed by the vaccine program this year? And she said, oh, well, we don't have the data on that. And, <laughs> and I said, but wait a minute. You said that it was, an, you know, basically an accepted casualty In order to achieve your dream of herd immunity, you're accepting a casualty, but you don't know what casualty you're accepting because there's no data collection. She says, well, I see your point. I said, because I think you're a good person, and I'm going to assume that maybe one in a million children dying you could accept, but what about one in 100,000 or one in 10,000 or one in 1,000? You see, everyone has a threshold, and you don't know if we've reached that threshold because nobody in pharma and nobody in our government is collecting that data because they don't want to have to admit if they got this wrong. Think about it. If the U.S. government finally does that study now, they suddenly compare vaccinated to unvaccinated like Peter Abe did, and they find out, oh, my God, we've been killing children at five times the rate of those that aren't getting vaccines. What would happen to this country? What would happen to the confidence of the vaccine program? What would happen to our confidence in our doctors and the CDC and Tony Fauci, it would be destroyed. And so when people say Dell, what would be the motivation for them to lie? That's it right there. If they're wrong, then no one, it may not just destroy the CDC, it could destroy confidence in the government of the United States altogether. And that's the problem. That's how deep and big this thing is. And so you have all, of the, and, and this is what the whistleblower, Dr. Thompson, said. In our film, Vax, this is what the former head of the NIH, Bernadine Healy, said, we are so afraid of, of finding a problem with vaccines, no matter how small it might be, that it would cause people to stop vaccinating, that we are just not doing the science. And that is the problem.
0: We're talking tonight with Dell Bigtree. He is an investigative journalist, also CEO of the Informed Consent Action Network. You can get more information about that group by going to icandecide.org. We're talking about vaccines and vaccinations and safety. One of the things some of us are faced with, and I know healthcare workers are one of, one of these groups, that they're not allowed to work unless they get specific vaccines. Um, school children are not allowed to go to public schools unless they get certain vaccines. Talk about that concept for a few minutes.
1: Well, I mean, what's shocking about that is it's in direct violation of the Nuremberg Code. Um, when we talk about the, you know, the Hippocratic Oath and do no harm, uh, the biggest, um, you know, code really to safety when it comes to medicine is the Nuremberg Code. Remember, we tried over 16 doctors that were testing on children in Auschwitz and innocent people. They were testing vaccines and doing experiments and surgeries, all sorts of abominations and things like that. But when that was over, most of those doctors hung. But the democratic nations of the world came together together and said, this can never happen again. And they wrote the Nuremberg Code, and the first rule of the Nuremberg Code is informed consent. That's why I named my company, my nonprofit, Informed Consent Action Network. Informed Consent says that the voluntary consent of the patient is absolutely critical, and that that consent can only come when the patient has been, you know, described and, and discussed all of the Benefits of the surgery or the experiment or the the vaccine or the drug and all the potential side effects. And then once they've been fully informed, they then decide whether they want to go forward with the procedure. And so when, and, and it says very clearly no form of coercion or duress can be used to force a free citizen into a medical procedure. And when I say, I I say to audiences all the time, I said, what do you call it when your child is told they cannot go to private school or public school or a nurse can't do her job unless she gets a vaccine? It's coercion. So we are defying a law that came out of Nazi Germany. And right now, When it comes to children, there's about five states, California, uh, Maine, Mississippi, um, West Virginia, that have taken away your ability to opt out of this program. But many of our frontline nurses and doctors are being forced to get vaccines, and they don't want them. Um, And so uh, it really is shocking that a business can forcibly inject you with products you don't have any control over, and even worse, when the government does it.
0: Let's talk about the government for a second. I don't know if you have an opinion on this, but I'll ask. If you don't, we can move on. But what's your assessment of how our governments, whether it's federal, state, or local government, has been reacting to the COVID-19 threat and uh, resulting pandemic?
1: That's a complete disaster. This will go down in history as one of the greatest failures in medical science. I believe that there's a chance that some of the characters involved will, will be tried, for, maybe for treason, uh, potentially for crimes against humanity. I think that this has been, um, you know, orchestrated in many ways. I'm not saying that there isn't a virus that exists, but a virus that has a death rate of a quarter of one percent, uh, this is one of the greatest overreactions in the history of mankind, and it, it, it smacks of an agenda being behind it from the very beginning, especially when the moment, you know, we're locking down, we're being told a vaccine is the only way we get our life back to normal. But, you know, Tony Fauci says things like that. I'm like, what, are you a psychic? You know, there's, it, there's just as possible that we could get a great treatment. And I believe hydroxychloroquine is one of those treatments. Uh, but we've murdered innocent people all across America. I think New York's a perfect example of, you know, how you take a cold and you murder people. You basically say that that cold is deadly, so you don't treat it like a cold the way you did every year before this. You don't, when the person comes in saying, you know, I'm not feeling very good, I've had some upper respiratory issues, you would normally give them oxygen. Now you deny them oxygen because, oh, this is deadly, and because it's deadly, we can't aerosolize the virus. And so you deny them the first life-saving measure you would normally give them. Then when they start to crash, then you put them in a coma and you ventilate them. And we now know, even though Cuomo was screaming, ventilators, ventilators, I need more ventilators, we will look back historically and say he might as well have said, guillotines, guillotines. I need more guillotines to treat COVID-19 because 9 out of 10 people were killed by the ventilators. Um, And then you cut your hospitals in half. You know, the whole idea that we're going to run out of beds, it's a manufactured problem because you stopped using more than half of your hospital because you're not giving oxygen, because you're treating everybody coming through the door as a COVID patient. Now you can only use your ICUs where you have these ventilators, where you're going to kill people. And since you have a shortage of beds, any old person, elderly person, this all happened in New York. Any elderly person is not allowed to take up that bed. They don't deserve it. So as soon as they're diagnosed and test positive, They're sent back to the nursing home. The nursing home doesn't want them to come back because the one thing we knew about COVID-19 is it's deadly for people over the age of 65 with other comorbidities. But Cuomo and many other Democrat um, governors passed laws that kept the nursing home from being able to keep a healthy, safe environment. They were forced to take in these sick elderly from the hospital, thereby lighting a match and throwing it into a dry grass field, If that's not enough, most of these hospitals and even the ambulances were told to have do not resuscitate orders. So even if you were at home having a heart attack and nothing to do with COVID-19, the ambulances, and people wrote about this in New York, were told, don't resuscitate anybody. We don't have the beds to take them to the hospital. All of this is based on this idea that COVID-19 is a novel, brand new coronavirus And it's deadly. None of which has proved to be true. In fact, we even know that it's just like every other coronavirus. And we're seeing somewhere between 60 to 80 percent cross-reactive immunity, meaning 60 to 80 percent of the country and the world do not appear to be able to catch this virus because they had a cold last year. And that's protecting them this year. So Tony Fauci is an absolute imbecile. And I think beyond that, when we had hundreds of studies around the world showing the success of hydroxychloroquine, simply because Donald Trump says, I like this drug in the middle of this, this, this panic epidemic, we should really, you know, get this out there. And Tony Fauci and Cuomo, people like that, stopped the use of that drug, one of the safest drugs Known to man, I know you didn't expect the soliloquy, so I'm going to stop there, but I could go on and on about well, I, I do COVID-19. Have, I do have to ask you, though,
0: <laughs> has it gotten better? Um, ha, have some of these problems that uh, we, we dealt with early on in this situation, have we learned from any of those mistakes, and has the process gotten any better?
1: Um, it's gotten, you know, slightly better. We did because you had, I believe, uh, Dr. Kyle Seidel was the ER doctor that came out in New York after a um, session in the ICU, went on YouTube and said, we're killing people, there's something wrong with how we're treating them. The ventilators is killing them. It's not like they're having trouble breathing, it's like they're, they're suffering from hypoxia on top of Mount Everest. Because of his statement, we did start shifting away from ventilators and stopped killing so many people. Um, I think that we are still denying treatments. I saw a, a, a discussion in Israel where they're having a second wave, and there was a doctor saying, why is our second wave so much deadlier than our first? And he looked back and said, because we were using hydroxychloroquine in the first wave, and now it's illegal for us to use hydroxychloroquine, and people are dying. Uh, but I think there's, we clearly know it's getting better. Now, whether or not the treatment is getting better, Um, something is driving down the death rate, and that's exactly where we want to be. Where we want to be is seeing the infection rate go up so that we can get to herd immunity as quickly as possible, as long as the death rate is going down, and that is what's happening. We're seeing the deaths going way down, and now all we're talking about is cases, which is another – they basically did a bait-and-switch. They had us all terrified, looking at how many people were dying. Then no one paid attention when they stopped talking about deaths and started talking about cases – with the same alarm and we have not recognized that cases don't mean anything if you know cases of colds who cares as long as nobody's dying um so you know all of these things are are manufactured through fear and are distracting us but we are seeing the death rate going down and i think many scholars are now stepping up all around the world saying we are on the verge of herd immunity Why don't we go ahead, use a focused approach? I don't know if you talked about the Great Barrington Declaration. Sure, we talked
0: talked about it last night. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Right, scientists and doctors are signing on all around the world. And by the way, it's not like they just came to this conclusion. Most of these scientists and doctors, at least those that that wrote this declaration, have been shouting from the mountaintops from the very beginning that this was a mistake, that we were overreacting. And Sweden is proof, right? Sweden is proof that you didn't need to overreact. They treated it like a common cold. I think if you look at Johan Giesecke, who's one of the great medical voices in Sweden, he says, as it turns out, it was a little worse than the common cold. We probably could have done a little bit better job protecting our nursing homes. But overall, the virus has run its course. And now Sweden is the only nation that never locked down, never wore masks, never destroyed their economy. And they have no cases or deaths going on at all. So they are proof. And, and what's ironic is, you know, we'll see the headlines. Sweden using, you know, novel approach to the COVID-19 virus. It's not true. Sweden used the approach every country in the world used since the dawn of man until this year. They just did it the same way we always did, which is there's always coronaviruses, there's always rhinoviruses, and there's always the flu. And we grin and bear it. And, yes, it kills those that are very weak, and it's a part of being alive on this planet.
0: And there was a, there's a third measure in there, a third statistic that I think is important, and it also demonstrates or illustrates that we're moving in the right direction with this, and that is uh, hospitalizations. You mentioned cases and deaths, but hospitalizations are in there, too, and they're down.
1: They're down, too. You know, um, and, and if we were really honest about it, even the hospitalizations, you know, we had a ship brought in the medical ship, brought in in New York. There was army tents all through Central Park and in the Javits Center. Not a single extra tent uh, all across the country was ever used. No extra bed was ever used. Yeah. And I've talked to ER doctors that said, you know, this thing was never what anyone said it was. It's never happened. We haven't run out of a bed anywhere. And here's a news flash. Hospitals make money by filling their beds. They always are on the verge of filling their hospitals they're like hotels. They like their bedrooms filled. And so there's nothing new here. And you're right. Hospitalizations are down. But again, media doesn't want to talk about that. They want to make us all alarmed about, you know, the rise in cases, the rise in cases. Um, and what we're calling a cases has we never in the history of man have ever called somebody that tests positive but has no symptoms a case. A case has always been only if you have symptoms. Because we know if you don't have symptoms, that means your body's doing exactly what it should do and fighting it off, and maybe it never really even penetrated your cells or anything, and all there are fragments floating around your body because you kicked its butt. And that happens to be about 90% of this country don't even have symptoms. So they shouldn't even be called cases.
0: And we just had a, a, a situation in upstate New York where I live. I live in Cooperstown, in, in the adjacent community to us, Oneonta, has a state college, and uh, they they didn't have a protocol in place. Another failure of New York State, by the way. They didn't have a protocol in place uh, for the students coming back, and something around three hundred of the returning students came down with COVID-19. But the telling number here is not a single one of those people were hospitalized. Many of them were asymptomatic. It wasn't even, you know, they didn't even have the sniffles. Um, and and they all got better. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, an interesting anecdote uh, that we saw. But the community panicked.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's because they're being driven into a panic by the media and bad science. I mean, what this Barrington Declaration is saying is, Herd immunity is not a strategy. It's a scientific fact. We are we are dealing with this virus in an unnatural, unscientific way. We are trying to, we. this has been a worldwide ex- experiment. Can you hide the entire population of the planet from a virus? And we've proven that that's a complete and total failure. It's the first time it's ever been attempted. And, you know, good on everybody that, you know, was able to talk the world into doing it in the you know, the trillions of dollars that have been lost, and the jobs lost, and the lives lost, Uh, but it was really an experiment, and it failed, because in the end, what we now know, and it should have been obvious to even a three-year-old, you can't hide from a virus. In the end, you can lock down, you can hide, but once you come out, that virus is still waiting there, because the only way a virus goes away is once it burns itself out, and it only burns itself out when it can't find any more dry grass to burn, and that's what herd immunity is. And remember, whether or not you're getting herd immunity with a vaccine or by getting the illness, you know, directly in the wilds, you are still trying to achieve herd immunity. So all of these morons out there that are saying (laughs) this, you know, herd immunity is a conspiracy theory, it's ridiculous. That's exactly what the goal has always been, is why... We don't have a cold vaccine when, you know, we haven't had a coronavirus vaccine or a rhinovirus. And yet these things do kill people every year. What do we do? We say, you know what? It runs its course. It has a very low death rate. And then we achieve herd immunity and it goes away. This is how this works. Only now you have a messaging from pharma that is literally rewriting centuries of known science. Uh, and that's why none of this makes sense when you look at it. It doesn't. It doesn't add up because it can't add up. It's ridiculous.
0: We've kind of had an A discussion and a B discussion, and now I want to bring those two discussions together. In fact, yesterday I was watching one of the news programs that I enjoy watching, and on the scroller at the bottom of the screen, it mentioned that Johnson & Johnson had to uh, halt or pause its uh, trials for the COVID, their COVID vaccination. And uh, I think it was Eli Lilly had to do the same thing, both out of safety concerns. Uh, What's happening with the process by which uh, we are seemingly, um, I don't know if we're rushing, I don't know if that's the right word, but we're certainly anxious to get this vaccination to market. Let's talk about the process first, and then let's talk about the vaccination itself.
1: Okay, so the process is, you know, we're watching it happen. We are in warp speed. You know, this idea of rushing, to me, the two most dangerous words in a sentence are rushing science. Go ahead and put that. Look, historically, how that's worked out for was us, not usually a good idea. This is particularly a bad idea because it's one of the most dangerous vaccines ever attempted. But we'll talk about the vaccine specifically in a minute. Now, what's outrageous is if you, you think about the fact that we're being told this vaccine will be here. It could be here before the election. It could be here before the end of the year. Yet, you know, two of the major of the four contenders are on hold right now. AstraZeneca is shut down. In America, at least, they've continued in the U.K., but they stopped down because they had two cases of transverse myelitis, which is paralysis. And it's, by the way, it's a known side effect to vaccines. You'll see it written on many vaccines. Now, this is how this process works. This is what I don't think people understand. I think people, and let me, let me say, I thought, before I started investigating vaccines, that the CDC and the FDA, the regulatory agencies, are the ones that do the safety studies. I had it in my mind that it's like, you know, Ford brings their car to a crash test center and someone that doesn't, you know, side with Ford does the test. That's not the case. All of these trials are done by the very manufacturers that stand to make billions of dollars. They're doing their own safety studies. And so when they get two cases of transverse myelitis, and I should clarify that one of those cases is now saying, looks like it's it's, it's multiple sclerosis. Oh, great. I feel so much better about that. Um, But... When they see that, then they set about trying to figure out, you know, a way to tell us that the vaccine had nothing to do with it. Now, we haven't seen anything happen in any of the placebo groups so far, uh, yet we see these two cases of paralysis and AstraZeneca. We don't know what happened to Johnson & Johnson, and we don't know what happened to Eli Lilly product. And that's the antibody product, as well as I understand it, that Donald Trump took. And so all of these things are on hold which means the trial isn't going well. Does someone want to explain to me if your trials aren't going well, how is it we plan on having, we're getting through these trials in the next month or two? It's 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 ludicrous. But I, I will say that we feel really good, my nonprofit, profit informed consent to action network, uh, because we have sued and won against the FDA, they are very aware of us. So we petitioned the FDA uh, just over a month ago and said that we will not consider the vaccine safe if they don't have a saline placebo group. Remember, I told you none of the childhood vaccines ever went to that process. Well, we submitted a petition and within two days, the phase three trials got stopped down in Moderna. And about four or five days later, every third phase trial now in America has got a saline placebo group. So we're very happy about that, that at least We've got a comparator that can give us a sense of safety. Did this happen in the, you know, placebo group? Now the problem's going to be is the duration of this trial going to be long enough? And I'm not the only one complaining about that. There's actually 400 doctors, including Dr. Peter Hotes, who's been working on a coronavirus vaccine. Uh, Dr. Paul Offit, who's a big pro vaccinator, who created the. Um, rotavirus vaccine, they all signed a letter demanding that Trump slow down the warp speed um, approach toward the vaccine, knowing that they really need much more time to study this vaccine in trials before we can say it's safe.
0: We, I've heard a lot about these particular vaccinations that are being developed now for COVID-19 are different than what we've had traditionally. Is there any truth to that? Are these new uh, technologically uh, cutting edge types of vaccinations?
1: Yeah, it's a brand new approach in most scenarios. But remember, there's a hundred over a hundred companies, I think um, de- developing coronavirus vaccines. I think there's something like 36 that are entering trials this year, and I think we're watching right around six major contenders. And of those six, I'm not sure. I think one of them may be more of a standard um, attenuated virus vaccine. But Moderna and the AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson, these are all using different technologies. The Moderna is an mRNA vaccine. AstraZeneca is using a viral vector vaccine. And they have been attempting this approach to vaccinations for over 20 years and have failed Consistently. Moderna has never produced a single working product, and they're now worth hundreds of, I think, you know, millions and billions of them. It's crazy how much money this company's worth, and they've never had a single success. So the process, the mRNA process, is somewhat alarming. I mean, the idea being that your body becomes the factory to make the vaccine. What it does is it sends. They take the RNA message that your DNA would normally send to your cells. Uh, that's the message that's sent. We insert a synthetic message, an RNA message, that contains essentially the spike protein. And then the cells start making that protein, actually start making the virus so that the antibodies will see it and start attacking it. So we basically turn our bodies into a virus and vaccine uh, manufacturing plant it's it's an outrageous concept and maybe someday it will be brilliant but it has failed so far for 20 years and they have had real problems in animal trials and so the idea of rushing this that we're suddenly going to rush this right on the market um got scientists all around the world terrified it's it's terrifying let's that we are
0: yeah, go ahead. No, we 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 touched on the idea when we talked about workplace and school children of forced vaccinations. It sounds like there are places that have already decided that they will require their populations to receive the COVID nineteen vaccination. Now, this is a vac a vaccine that, as you just pointed out, um, you know is being somewhat rushed. It is um, using technologies that are unproven, uh, and the results, from what I'm seeing at this point, are mixed. Yet, we may be forced to take this. How do we tackle this problem?
1: Well, the way we tackle every problem, what our founding fathers said, if you ever find yourself where your civil liberties are under attack by your government, not only are you allowed to defy those laws, you are required to do so. We must step up. This is, this is not how our country in America, nobody in the world, but I live in America, frankly, of all the nations in the world that would, would be conceiving of forcing a vaccination like this onto the population, there will be carnage. I am telling you, I, I, if you're a betting man, go ahead and bet on the fact that people are going to die from this vaccine because this vaccine is dangerous. Um, and beyond the fact that they're brand-new technologies, Every attempt at a coronavirus vaccine for the last 20 years has resulted in the same problem. If you've watched Peter Hotez speak for the Congress, even Tony Fauci has alluded to something called immune enhancement. What's been happening in the coronavirus trials for the last 20 years is the animals they get the vaccine. It looks like it's safe. They they are doing just fine. We see robust antibody production, which says the vaccine apparently is working. But then the animal trials go one step further than a human trial currently can go. And that's a challenge study where you actually inject the animal with the coronavirus. And in every single trial they did this, the animals, we discovered that the animals got more sick and many of them died Had upper respiratory in massive upper respiratory infections, organ failure, death. It was called a cytokine storm, a total meltdown of the immune system. The very, very dangerous problem. And they have not, number one, they don't really know what causes it. They have some theories, but they don't know what causes it. And so when you think every attempt of this vaccine has been killing animals in animal trials, and now we've skipped the animal trials and we're rushing right into human trials, the idea that this of all vaccines would be rushed and forced on you. And by the way, any moron that says they're going to that, you know, you're going to have to get this vaccine. The vaccine does not exist on this planet. At the moment, there is not a working coronavirus vaccine. We do not base policy decisions, at least I didn't think we did, on wishful thinking. We base. I think of my dad that would say a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush or don't count your chickens. Before they hatch, you don't make decisions with your economy and the help of the world based on a product that has been troubling for 20 years and does not currently exist. It's crazy. But this vaccine. Now, there's been two times we've seen this exact problem in real life. There was an RSV vaccine program where it looked like the vaccine was safe. It was given to children in the 1960s. And then the children came in contact with RSV and suddenly got deathly ill, massive upper respiratory infections. Two of the babies died, and we stopped the RSV program. It happened again about a year and a half ago with Dengvaxia. This is a dengue vaccine that was used in the Philippines. Again, they thought it was safe. They gave it to you know thousands of people in the Philippines, and it looked fine until they came in contact with dengue, and then 600 people died their bodies overreacted to the illness. And that is the issue that any decent scientist knows is the problem with the coronavirus vaccine. And I can tell you, I have analyzed because they put out the trials, they are doing everything they can to not look at whether they've overcome that issue. In fact, you might be shocked to know that not one of the trials of any of these vaccines is attempting to stop transmission They are already admitting it's not going to stop transmission, which then what is the point? If it doesn't keep me from infecting my neighbor and can't, then the vaccine is useless. And it has done, they are not, the end point is not to prove that it keeps people from dying. The only thing they're going to set out to achieve in these trials is to see if they can reduce your cough in mild symptoms. That's the end point. They're taking 30,000 perfectly healthy people. And they're going to see, and, and by the way, we get confused by the 30,000. It's only going to be, out of the 30,000, that's like the 30,000 fishing poles in the water. But as soon as about 75 to 150 in the trial end up getting infected, that's all they want. They're going to look at those 150 and make the decision for the world. So it's not like 30,000 people are getting infected. So you can really see and get great robust data They're going to make their decisions based on 150 people. Did your cough, did it look like the cough was lighter and the mild symptoms were lighter uh, in the vaccinated group? So this vaccine is already on track to be an absolute dud. And so then you've got to ask yourself, why are we locking ourselves down and destroying our economies for this vaccine unicorn that is going to prove to just be an ugly monster?
0: We are in the middle of a um, what is a rather heated discussion about the United States Supreme Court. Um, we've got hearings going on right now for uh, the appointment of a, a replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So talking about constitutional law is kind of apropos at the moment. Uh, so just a quick opinion, and I believe it would be the Fourth Amendment, which protects us and our persons, um, do you believe that uh, forced vaccinations of any kind are a violation of the of that or any other of uh, the protections in the constitution
1: I do in fact i i debated um, um, alan dershowitz on this issue he came out publicly and said that um, that the the state has a right to drag you to a hospital and plunge a needle into your arm and to protect the greater whole and that he said that i would love to be a lawyer for the, you know, that takes us to the Supreme Court to fight for the state. So I called him and said, I'd like to debate you on that issue. And you can check that at thehighwire.com at my website. Uh, but what I challenged him on multiple things. And in the end, I think if you watch that debate, you will see that he actually gives a lot of ground and, and thanked me for the information. But what it really comes down to is and you'll hear it. It's the case of Jacobson versus Massachusetts. This is the case that everyone cites when they say that they can forcibly inject you with a vaccine. But what I said to Alan Dershowitz is I said, look, that case was very specific. That was a man who said he had a religious right to not have to get the smallpox vaccine. And at that, this was like, I think, 1905, the case took place. He, did, he didn't want the smallpox vaccine. Apparently, he'd already been injured by one he was younger um, and there was a $5 fine. Well, they said you are not allowed. You have to pay the $5 fine. He fought it all the way to the Supreme Court, and Jacobson versus Massachusetts ruled he had to pay the $5 fine. And I said to Alan Dershowitz, I don't think you can equate having to pay a fine that that means it's okay to, as you described it, physically kidnap somebody, drag them beyond their will. To a hospital and violate their body with a needle, and he said, "You know what? You may have a point there, and that's what this is going to come down to." And it's some of the work that we're doing our nonprofit. We are looking at different cases. We'd like to get a newer ruling that could override uh, Jacobson because you know it's it's not relevant uh, in the time that we're living
0: now. Uh, A two-part question here, then we're going to be out of time. Um, But, you know, we've seen the way the government in most, in many places, has rushed and maintained these lockdowns uh, and have exhibited control over populations that was basically unheard of or unthought of in the United States anyway. Um, I'm concerned that this is almost a trial run for any time Uh, the political wind shifts in a direction where some politician can say science dictates that we are in a national emergency and we need to force you to do these things you know one of those arguments is is climate change uh there's others um do you think this is the new norm and is do you have any fear that this is a precedent that we will never be able to return from
1: yes i think that we need to really everybody needs to look up the uh, Great Barrington um, Declaration and sign it the world needs to sign it. We need to get real scientists into this debate immediately because we have a serious problem uh, and this is something I stated at the very beginning of covid nineteen I said we need to know what the death rate is. then we also need to know what death rate does our country you know would consider warrant warrants a lockdown and destruction of our civil liberties. We need them to say it 's one percent or you know, a quarter of 1%, whatever it's going to be. But think about this. Essentially, no one ever made that statement. When Fauci's ass is like, you can't equate human life that way. It's ridiculous. But we have lowered the bar to a virus with a death rate of a quarter of 1% is all you need now to shut us down, lock us out of our restaurants, destroy our businesses. I have news for you. The way that they count this whole thing, which is, Everyone that dies with coronavirus is dying from it. That means that every virus we've ever had is in the neighborhood of having a death rate of 0.26%. This this fall can be the flu. Next time it's the rhinovirus or it's another coronavirus. Every single virus we have is at 0.26% if you are looking at everyone that dies with it, right? That's the big you know, hopes here is the way they've counted it. Never before we looked at all the... We've always heard when our our family members died, died of complications from cancer, died of complications from heart disease. That complication was usually pneumonia brought on by a flu or a coronavirus or a cold, meaning these people's bodies were so shot that they had no immune system left. And we just said, well, you know, yeah, it was a cold, yeah, it was pneumonia, but it was really because they had fourth-stage cancer, that they couldn't defend themselves against that cold. Now we've changed our languaging and said, no, the cold is what killed them. And because of that, we have driven this death rate up to 200,000. It's nowhere near 200,000. If you've counted this the way we've always have, uh, it's on par with your average flu season, but this is our new way of counting. And since it is, you must know that 0.26% of flu is capable of that. Rhinovirus, coronavirus, We may never get our masks off. We may never open up. We may never play football and baseball and dance and hug and kiss. And these apps that are tracking us to see how close we are together could easily make it illegal for me to hold someone I love. This is getting insane. It's it's like we're living in a dystopian novel. I still have faith in humanity and our ability to vote. I would vote for the people that are saying, I'm not going to force you to wear masks. I don't believe in this thing, you know, you've got to do your own due diligence. But This thing is destroying America, and China's about to take over the world because of it. If we don't wake up and say, you know what, folks, it's a cold. I'm going to jump out there and get it, I'm going to keep grandma and grandpa really safe in their house, have food delivered while we catch this cold, get herd immunity, and then we're all back out in the sunshine, swimming in Hawaii, going on vacations and getting back to our lives. That is the only way not some crappy vaccine that's never going to come in time.
0: Dell. it's been a fascinating discussion. I just want to um, have you offer our audience some ideas on how they can um, take up the position that you outlined. You said, you know, as our founding father said, if, if, if there is something that is truly unjust, we have a right to disobey the civil dif- disobedience, uh, if you will. You know, a lot of people don't yeah. know how to even begin to do something like that. So how do you recommend people who care and want to want their voices to be heard to get them heard? How how should they go about that?
1: Well, first of all, a great tool is to start being informed. And so I would say we've you know, my show the highwire on the highwire dot com every Thursday, eleven AM Pacific time, that's gonna keep people abreast of what's actually happening. And that will also we are announcing the marches that are happening at state capitals around the country, many of which I go to and speak at. If you just want to find your local health freedom group, uh, look up health freedom in your Facebook pages and try and find a group that believes you have a right to control your own body. I want to be really clear here. If whether or not you believe in vaccines or not, you must recognize that allowing the government to inject your body with prod products you have no control over, is the end of freedom as we know it. There's a lot of people that think Trump is the most dangerous person in the world. Others would think Biden or Kamala Harris. But we know that someday there could be a bad actor. We can never hand our government the power to forcibly inject our bodies. We must maintain body sovereignty. Um, And so there's tons of writing on this. But people go to thehighwire.com, go to icandecide.org, I'll get you all heading in the right direction. But mostly, we've just got to start having conversations. We all know this is true. We've got to stop being afraid to talk to our brothers and sisters at the Thanksgiving table or whatever it is. These issues are going to affect the future of our children uh, and our children's children. It's time to start talking about having you know, comfortable conversations as we try to work our way through this.
0: Dell, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Um, and thank you for doing all of this work. For us, it's important work that you're doing, and I applaud you for it and thank you for it.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: um